All right, should we do this? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Yo, welcome to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, where we are discussing the Revelation Records discography in chronological order. We're on track. We are full speed ahead till the end of the year. And we have an awesome episode this time that everyone in, on our staff is stoked on. And I think people who really like this band and really like this record are not going to be disappointed. Jason, tell yeah. the people what they're going to hear about today. Today we're talking about Seamless by Into Another. Released on Hollywood Records, Revelation Records did the vinyl, Rev number 48. Yeah, Rev 48. So I'm looking at the cassette and the 12 inch here i'll talk a little bit more about the 12 inch in our outro but the cassette has a hollywood records logo and the rev on the spine it says rev 48 and then on the back in very small print it says copyright 1995 holiday hollywood records under the rev star under license to rev records and uh so yeah i mean for all intents and purposes this looks like a Revelation Records release. Okay. But before we get into talking about this fantastic, life-changing album, I think it might be time to... Oh, Greg, shout it, I mean. Shout it. It might be time to kick, <laughs> hey, kick, 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 those, kick those shouts. Kick Greg, those you got shouts. Greg, you Johnny, got kick a shout? hole in the sky. You got anything to um, shout? Just... I want to give yet another shout to our dude, Weezy Ronsberger and, um, and hits records. Um, by the time this episode airs, I'm looking at ye old calendar. This will air on the 15th. So, um, the shelter purpose, the passion European already sold out. We mentioned this on the last episode. So, Maybe people that heard scrambled and ordered from Death Wish. Death Wish may already be sold out. Um, I should have my uh, assistant check that while I'm speaking uh, to see if Death Wish is sold out of the shelter record. Jason, that was me saying, like, Jason, can you please look? I'm You're on my it. assistant just for just for the minute. I'm on it. Okay. Death anyway, <laughs> while I'm saying that, uh, Nathan Gray has a new uh, album that by the time you're hearing this, it will be out two days henceforth. Um, it'll come out, for, right? Is that the right way? The 17th. This comes out the 15th. Um, and it was produced by our good buddy, one of our favorite dudes, Brian McTurnan. And uh, end hits records, man. Oizzy just killing it. The, you know, we talked about the Shelter reissue, the War on Illusion zine book. It features Javier, you know, a new interview with Javier and Porcel um, and a War and Illusion t-shirt, War and Illusion um, hooded sweatshirt, new hot water music, tons of stuff. So I'm on deathwishinc.com. Deathwish has a um, exclusive color, blue, clear with blue and oxblood splatter. That doesn't seem very austere. Um, that is sold out. They still have blue and red, gold, 
aqua blue and oxblood and it looks like each of those um is like 150 to 175 so they're running low over there on death wish but the death wish exclusive color the splatter That's that wild. is sold out yeah. and it looks like they have some shirts though yo that green long sleeve is real nice and the blue short sleeve actually all of these are really nice and yeah. uh, it looks like they have some Duchamp records left over. I, I believe that our dude, um, Tyler from Inclination, was looking for that Duchamp record. Wait, they do? Because that was sold out for a yeah, while. Yeah, Slingshot Anthems. Oh, no, it's uh, the, the record is sold out, but they have CDs of it. Dude, oh, okay. they have that compact is, discs. Brian is on that as well. Brian's on a song. Uh-huh. Um, that... That band really surprised. I had never heard of them uh, before and, and hits. And um, it's it's a really good, like, kind of, you know, it's kind of Kid Dynamite-ish. Um, but, uh, yeah, Brian's on it. Jason Shevchuk from Kid Dynamite is on it. Um, Dave Smalley's on it. Stefan oh, nice. from Descendants. Like, and it it's really a fun... Uh, melodic hardcore punk record. Um, they also have War on Illusion shirts and hoodies over there at Death Wish, which are pretty cool to see. So pretty yeah, good. Death Wish is the. It looks like they're the American plug, the Walla, uh, to use a Sanskrit word or an Indian word. Um, they are the your source for shelter and other nice end hit stuff in america yeah so yeah so, bit of bow to oisey and to death wish i don't have anything else to shout this week so i don't know jay do you yeah sure oh, i yeah, got sure. my uh i got my hell-minded records package of the one-up records and it was just cool to work with greg on the layout for that and his band and with joe and the whole experience was just cool so bit of photo Joe from Hellminded Records. Check out their site. I mean, obviously they have what? No Escape, School Drugs. Yeah, like it's a great up. label, but uh I mean I got a bit of Bo Jason. When I tell people about this record, I don't even mention the music. I'm like, you gotta just see, you know, you gotta see this thing. I said, same with the shirts. The t-shirts came out great. Jason's design. I said, you have to see to see the way this record looks i don't it's just like the shelter it's like even if you're gonna n- never play it um it just it he he knocked it out of the park um you know jason i i know you like i said that they got the blue poly bag oh i've never seen that before and um yeah that was you know, it just it looks really really nice uh-huh. the insert, Dude, thank you the vinyl it's like i i i'm very very proud of it um, and oh I was, Thank it you. was really fun to work on um, and collaborate with Jason. Well, I say collaborate. All I did was say, yeah, this looks cool. Um, but uh, yeah. So uh, first press is completely sold out. Again, something I never thought I would say. Um, not that there was a ton press, but I just figured we'd sell 30 copies. Um, and second press early next year. All right. Anything else? All right, let's kick it. Can I kick it? Kick it, kick it, kick it. It's about deception and it's called The Amphibian in Love.
Javier, you want to kick it? Yeah, so uh, 1995 is a busy year for Into Another, right? It's so 1994, mm-hmm. Ignore Us comes out. 1995, the To Be Free 7-inch comes out. And then looking on this cassette I have of this album called Seamless, it also has a date of 1995 on it. So that's... a a lot of material to be putting out in like two years or so, right? Was this like a real whirlwind time for you guys? Yeah, I think it was. We were prolific. So yeah, we probably had every about time I see Polygram, I kick myself. <laughs> we probably had about half of that record, uh, maybe a little less, maybe about a third of the record of Seamless done uh, by. By the time that we had gotten the deal with Hollywood and probably directly after doing the Ignorus right sessions, we had we had like Mutate Me. We had uh we've been playing the Amphibian in Love, um Locksmiths and Lawyers. We were doing those at shows already. So that was part of yeah, that was part of our our setup for the record. You know, that was yeah. a, a period like of of being pretty, you know, consistent in terms of writing and, and getting all that together. I have a live a couple live records from 1994 and the alien in love is already in the set list. You know, you're playing like poison fingers, maritime murder, herbivore, and then the alien in love amphibian. amphibian amphibian in love. I'm sorry. The alien live amphibian. record. You say, yeah, I have two live <laughs> recordings. So you mentioned Hollywood records. How did that all come about? Were there other, was there like, as they, you know, used to hear about in the 90s, like a bidding war? Were there like a bunch of labels? There was, uh, a, bidding, there was a bidding skirmish. Skirmish. Bob, Bob Pfeiffer. <laughs> was there anybody else besides Hollywood that was approaching was you guys? Like, no, I want to sign them. And, uh, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, yeah, there was, there was one of those, uh, who knows how heated it was. But we, you know, we, we chose... You know, obviously, um, in hindsight, a label, if we could do it over again, we would have gone with someone else. Um, there, there were some pretty horrendous mistakes. You know, we, we went on tour supporting the Ramones and White Zombie and not, our product was not being distributed. So we were playing to people who could not buy our album. Um, uh, and we went to Europe and our album was released with the, the correct album art. Uh, and and the even the correct art on the CD itself, but the CD containing music made by another artist. What? Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, yeah. didn't hear that one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, actually, a pretty decent like kind of trance band. Um, <laughs> Sold a lot more than Seamless. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. um, 
when you what was because I I wanted to ask what was it like touring with the Ramones? Um, I'm sure you grew up, you guys grew up listening to them, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that had to be insane. But it was pretty, it was a pretty uh, separate, you know, uh, experience in terms of White Zombie, Ramones, and and Into Another were all kind of kept apart from each other. Yeah, there was was some interaction. I mean, um, they were nice to us, you know. Yeah, they they were actually incredibly nice. and, And I only once like exchanged a few words with uh with joey and and he he didn't seem to be in the greatest health at that time and it was kind of like in uh is it rock and roll wheat germ uh, rock and roll high school where they're stuffing wheat germ in his mouth yeah yeah it's kind of like that because he was with someone who was obviously like had like a bunch of supplements for him and stuff and he and was looking after himself um you know dd wasn't in the band at the time so cj was actually very very effusive and friendly and always talking to us um uh but yeah it was cool shauna from white zombie was really super nice um we didn't didn't interact with everybody in all the bands yeah Yeah. cj from the ramones and um but it was cool i mean it was really i mean jay Jay from the white oh jay jay younger the white zombies oh oh, sorry the guitar player right because i saw this thing the the, uh they had buzz osborne from the melvins and he was talking about touring with white zombie and he had said it was the worst tour they'd ever done like he kind of just said their um i guess staff or whatever you want to call their their uh their team you know working with them and also just like he said they were sound checking once and they were told it was bothering rob zombie while he was eating lunch <laughs> and like just like, really they were really cool with us. I mean, well, I, I like I'm not Mike Ken White, but yeah. also yeah. along really well. I never, with I never talked like, to Rob or anything. Yeah. We also played with White Zombie as like our first show in New York City. Yeah, back our first I remember that, yeah. And and I used to see those guys constantly on the lower east side yeah. and all those nice. But um yeah, anyway, it was it was, you know, it, it was obviously, yes, growing up a, a Ramones fan, it was trippy, you know, to some to some catch glimpses of joey and johnny backstage at shows and uh and it's amazing at a sound uh one day at sound check um i was hanging around backstage you know we were playing these big uh venues and you know there's tons of room back around the stage uh because also white zombie had pyro so there was just a lot of room around it and uh and uh johnny ramon was uh hanging back there and i just started talking to him not for very long but uh, his his Mosrite was there on a stand, and I asked him if I could play it, and he said sure. So I strummed some chords on his Mosrite. Uh, it just okay. sold it off. And and he said no, that one was stolen. This one's from 1978. <laughs> wow, that's a trip. Well, still was played uh, on. Oh wow, that's see that's and that's that's a great experience that might not have been able to have if if maybe if you I guess because I'm assuming it was because of signing to hollywood and stuff and being yeah, able to have so well that's uh, cool. i mean hollywood and our management I, i'm not sure who really got yeah. us on that tour probably our management did actually um but yeah, uh, yeah that was really cool and in, uh at another sound check uh jay from white zombie who i'd gotten to be kind of you know not friends friends but you know like uh, tour friends with uh he let me uh uh play his guitar on stage at their sound check to hear their their whole rig like i played his rig with their monitor 
setup and sadly we never we never got that big that we would have this incredible just like everywhere you go rich sound uh, that was really amazing to to check out their you know their stadium level pro uh, setup cool um so with with thinking about recording um you did this with a producer named rick uh parashar parashar um, right. he, he passed away a couple years ago yeah. um were was he like a choice you guys made i know sometimes they're the label says hey based on the way you sound here's a list of people that we're willing yeah, was, to get was, you in with it was uh, he was suggested by uh, uh our a and r guy um and then we met with him and liked him and stuff but no he was he he wasn't someone that we thought about uh initially um he was suggested by uh a guy named john d who was one of believe it or not we had two a and r people but um this he, he was friends with with john d were you familiar with his work though at least like oh, yeah i mean he had he had yeah. produced you know pearl jam and temple of the dog and alice in chains it, it, we were kind oh, of in a situation where we they they were going to have ultimate say about who we could use and it didn't really matter that we wanted to try to like keep our sounds this pure thing they were like well we want to make sure that you guys have a producer that we're going to okay and ultimately that that did lead to a lot of conflicts in that you know there were things that we wanted to do on the record that Rick didn't want to do. Um, I mean, he didn't want to do locksmiths and lawyers. He said that if you guys are going to put that on the record or record it, I'm not going to be here for it. Wow. And he left the studio for that recording. He also, yeah, I had a couple of battles with him about lyrics where he wanted to change a lyric yeah. I think, in the way down to something that was grammatically incorrect and it really upset me. And then he 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 really fought me on the way I wanted to phrase that song and sing it and, and where I wanted to sing an octave up or an octave down. And, and it was, it was kind of a weird experience. There were things, uh, there were some, you know, some moments in that experience that were fantastic and others uh, were not very pleasant. Yeah, we, we, uh, um, we spent about a week before we went into his studio right. with him at a rehearsal space, just kind of going over the songs and tweaking him a little bit. And uh, the one song I remember him having, uh, you know, uh, I thought a, a positive impact on was was May I. He suggested a, a few uh, subtle changes to it that uh, gave it a kind of an interesting life, you know, so I, I appreciated his uh, yeah his perspective to add to that. that what did he like about locksmiths and lawyers though? Like, did he have, like, cause I feel like as a producer, he can't just be like, I don't like it. Well, why? I, don't I think know. that I think the D, the DNA of that song, um, even though it ended up as a rock song, there are things in its DNA that I think were just totally unfamiliar to him. You know, it, it has, you know, even though it, you might not hear it on the surface, that there are things in the DNA of that song that are more akin to like the Bad Brains than they are to like, you know, grunge bands, right? So, right. and I think it's just a, it was just a musical aesthetic that just wasn't clicking with him or something yeah. yeah the engineer um you know recorded it and then i think also mixed it yeah directly yeah uh-huh so he stayed true he said if he really did he, he yeah because yeah, uh, <laughs> i'm not gonna do it he just yeah. went he, 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 he wanted to do it he's 
smoke to Cohiba instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, maybe that, I mean, fine. Okay, so that song is, is recorded and produced differently than the rest of the record. I mean, that's kind of a good thing, you know, to some Yeah, extent. it is. It is a good thing. I think that, uh, but along that, along those lines, you, you know, you had songs that, that, that were closer uh, to the vibe of Locksmiths, like um, Android's Last Entry. And because of, I think, what Rick wanted to do in terms of like making it the package that he wanted, uh, we didn't we didn't include that. I think they wanted to go for a less, you know, angular, more like heavy into another record and wanted to like, I think, smooth out some of those edges to a fault for us, unfortunately, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, the song Android's Last Entry and the song All the Way Rider appear on a CD single for Tail. And it's interesting that you bring that up right now. We might as well touch on it. That song is one of, if not the heaviest into another song, I think. It's got the most like chugga mm -hmm. guitars. Um, is, is that why it didn't make the cut of the album? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's just like I was saying, I, I think that what uh, with the record label and the producer, I think they were they were trying to veer away from that a little bit more. I don't think that I think that from my recollection, the band wanted to use Andrew. Well, I, I think that I, don't, that, I don't remember the label telling us to edit it. I was with David. I do remember saying oh, like. Really? Yeah, I remember like as far as A or not A and R, and also the, the like again with with Rick, like they felt like yeah, Rick, better yeah, to keep Rick. that to keep that side of of to kind of tamp that down a little bit more. And we ultimately just kind of I think in terms of when you're you're doing you're struggling with a number of battles on different fronts, you're willing to at some point you know concede certain things that because you're just worn down. Oh, also, you have to you have to edit some, you know because at that time you were putting out vinyl at the same time, which has a maximum you know number of minutes you can mm -hmm. pack onto it. <clears throat> I mean, That's I, what I thought it was. It's I just, totally get just... I get editing keeping Android as as like a separate kind of single. I I kind of get that um, you know just from a cohesiveness standpoint but I, I don't remember it being so controversial at the time that that wasn't on it was more about like meddling in creative choices and stuff that ruffled those yeah. those bonus tracks um the two bonus songs and then the edited version of tale they're a bit hard to find i mean they're not on streaming you have to find the oh, yeah. c the cd version on discogs it's not super expensive but it's like i think they only made 500 or something right? oh really? really oh wow yeah mm. um and even like scouring the internet these days like looking for them on blogs i think the last time i had to track them down someone had to send it to me on a in a uh, a we transfer file not a fucking dropbox file jason but um but but i think that that is cool as a as a fan and as a collector and as an enthusiast to have those songs that you have to track down and and it makes you feel a little bit cooler than like everybody else because like hey i got these songs and you don't have them and that's how big of an into another fan i am that's my two cents about those you're like yeah. nfts right <laughs> yes <laughs> but i mean the sad part is there's probably fans of Into Another that 
aren't able to access this easily since these aren't on streaming. Yeah, the whole exactly the whole record. This yeah, fun. I think which I know can, we talked about. We can remedy know. that. I mean, we got to get off our asses and do it. We can remedy that. It needs to. It this yeah. seamless record definitely needs to. Uh, people need to hear. I think we um, can make those. We can make those five people happy. We just have to <laughs> with the bonus tracks. Oh, that oh, would be yeah. sick. You could tack them on at the end. Yeah. yeah. That was the whole plan all along. You know? <laughs> yeah. Just waiting just for wait. that. Just 26 like, years later. New like Coke. Guys in right? 30 years. <laughs> new Coke, Coca-Cola classic. Take right. away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's in, it is interesting because, you know, the reason that we're able to talk about this one, thankfully, is because, uh, and, and keep it canon, as it were, is because this, the vinyl, is exclusively on revelation right so it, so it has a rev catalog number and everything mm -hmm. um so in theory you'd think like maybe revelation can get it on stream i don't know but um was that i know i'd ask this so you this is one of three albums on revelation that were bands on a major label it was the 90s major labels didn't really care about pressing vinyl so, you know, Rev did the vinyl for the Stiv LP, the Quicksand Mana Compression, and, and this. Both of those bands we've talked to said the same thing. Like, the label didn't really care. They just said, well, fine, we're not pressing vinyl. Right. So, sure, right. they want to do the vinyl. Was it the same thing for you guys? Yes, it was. They, they didn't care. It and was, it was just like a no-brainer for Jordan to say, yeah, I'll do it. was not a it. difficult thing to get into our contract at all. It was very easy. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. the irony is now... The vinyls, what's the most sought exactly. after? Yeah. And harder for people to get. Yeah. You know? Um, but uh we're glad because it has a star on the back of the vinyl. You know, visually, this album is I think very different, especially in comparison to the Poison Fingers uh seven inch. But it, it is similar to Ignore Us because there is a lot of white on it but the photos and the photography style and some of the how it looks a bit filtered it does look like this is kind of the next level or the next era of the band and i think that all of that artwork is is very interesting but it's also not like it doesn't look like a new band it just right. looks like you took you evolved to the next level. I mean, you still got the same kind of like feel of the artwork. The same people that we worked with before. I mean, you have wallpaper design again. Yeah. For the, for the front cover and, and the photographer, Ray Legonzowski, we had used early on for some of our, uh, for the creepy EP and for, and for the uh, poster for the uh, self-titled album. So there, yeah. Exactly. So there, there, you know, there's those kind of fundamental aspects of it that we'd already been. What yeah. we had used but also, you know, there's there's always a desire for each release to have a distinct aesthetic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. did, did you how what are your memories about working with Walt um, on the illustrations? Well, he, he had become just a good friend. We always uh, we see each other downtown a lot and at the same clubs and um, he had become a good friend. I used to go visit him and 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 other people from that clique at the at the Chelsea Hotel and stuff, and and would see him out a lot. And um, 
so it just had a really good rapport with him. And then, um, you know, there, there were conversations about just some of the subject matter that not, not necessarily, um, you know, actually a lot of, a lot of the conversations were about the, the subject matter of Android's last century, actually about uh, just, you know, the, basically what was happening to popular culture as a result of all of us just being desensitized by all manner of media all the time. I mean, you know, that, that song Android's last century is kind of about how the, you know, mass media can, can wag the dog and about, um, you know, just basically we were at, you know, at that point we were sort of at the dawn of the digital age. And that was a big thing in my mind, you know, just being like a, someone who had read a lot of, um, you know, dystopian kind of cyberpunk sci-fi and, and other things and, and stuff before it. Um, so, so the subject matter of Android's last century was heavy on my mind. And a lot of the conversations I was having with Walt at that time were about, about that, about pop culture and where it was going and the dumbing down of the, the ironic dumbing down of the populace at the dawn of the like information superhighway. And I, I kind of, you know, one of the places where I thought we could go, unfortunately, was where we've gone, which is, you know, uh, basically the, the digital age turning us into uh, a planet inhabited by idiots who can't comprehend anything in more than 140 characters or anything that's, you know, has subtlety or irony or is remotely thought provoking. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the interesting juxtaposition to that is that a lot of the artwork does look futuristic in a way, right? Um, the logo looks a little bit more digital and the photo of all of you guys, you know, kind of looking at the camera. It's very deliberate. It's very, yeah, and using like some, in places, OCR typeface. You know, the first typeface created to be read by computers, you know, even long before the internet. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, that, that's all deliberate, the, mm -hmm. that, that sort of aesthetic. I, I, when it came out to, and again, that photo that's on the back cover of the, the 12 inch there, you almost look like, astronauts like in my yeah. in my mind it, it's very like like uh <laughs> 2001 looking in a way like we're gonna fucking blast off to the next level with this record that's what i thought <laughs> in my head when it came out and there was um one of the most interesting pieces of merchandise to come out of this era too was the garage jacket right jason you're on mute there bud i do i do <laughs> own that so jacket. you own it yeah yeah and i own it uh, it's here I, somewhere. Of course, it's buried somewhere <laughs> in the in the treasure. But uh, I still that, wear mine. <laughs> you're wearing it currently. Yeah. That, I'm not. This isn't actually it, but it's very similar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can so, we get maybe maybe we need a, a repressing of those? Yeah. For these for these yeah, cold yeah. winter I'm, months. I'm still rocking that collabo we did with Brooks Brothers. Oh, there it is. Yeah. There it is. This so is that the, got the one pocket. They did, we did a button down color it's, one too. Yes. It's interesting to me because it, in the in the time, like gas station jackets were kind of starting to get popular, right? Ninety five through ninety seven, a lot of bands. Ours was doing a and crystal stuff. station, not yes, not a gas station. yeah. It doesn't. Well, it doesn't really <laughs> look like a, a garage jacket as much as like a futuristic racing jacket. Sure, I agree. Yeah. 
what's the what's the brand what's the brand on that jason oh dude the brand the brand is just totally gone you know when you wear something and wash it and the tag just gets you fucking bragger you brag that's not bragging i'm just telling you what's what (laughs) Uh, i'll email you what it says on mine all right this is a gift so made by a a small tailor shop on savile row (laughs) well and another interesting juxtaposition then of that back cover where it looks futuristic then you have the photo of you guys in the field and richie is holding a shovel like he's getting ready to bury a controversial picture yeah, very, very. It is. It, it's, I mean, it's weird. Yeah, it's weird how the that happens a lot. It's like yeah. the Keith Moon not to be taken away. Yeah. Photo. You know. What's What's the controversy of that photo? Well, well not, not controversy, but it's you know Tony. He never liked that picture. He was like, oh. I don't like that picture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very portentous. And it's and it's, and it's yeah, it's uh, sadly it you know foreshadowed yeah it was a spur of the moment Mm. suggestion by by ray i think he said hey down there you know yeah i think it's it's cool it's very artistic uh it was kind of a throwaway thing because we had done the photo shoot for the the pictures inside uh we were just goofing off but yeah and yeah it was just like i think he had some some film left or something yeah and there was a little the little teeny um you know, yard uh, behind the building, and uh, yeah, there it was. But yeah, I let that uh, that back cover uh, picture is like action heroes, you know, uh, or ha- action uh, maybe heroes. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see it. It's a cool. I always thought it was a just a cool picture, um, and I, I really like the layout of this a lot, actually. So. Um, it's nice to know that everything was very deliberate and, uh, you know, cause I think it did really all tie together. I think, yeah, even the video had a place in that as well, that Fred Sturr, who's also passed away long since, uh, kind of kept that sort of, I think in some respect, kept that sort of motif as well with the, with the elevator video for Mutate Me. You know, it was also, I think, kind of yeah. fit in the same zone. Yeah, yeah there were cool right? videos, which I don't remember. I don't know if I saw them on like uh again you know, 120 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Labor, 120 was probably it. It played once uh on 120 minutes. <laughs> but it be you know, we handed it off the, the master to the label. Somehow between them and submission, the audio mastering got completely destroyed and it, the level is is insanely low. So even when it was broadcast at one time. It was like you had to turn your TV to max to like hear it. And oh damn! I mean, wow. we were just, just, it was we were so snake bit with that album and that label. It's like a Spinal Tap thing. Yeah, almost, absolutely. You know? oh, it sucks. Like, because when I listened when I listened to this, um, you know, this has been something that you know I've been playing since the '90s, and when I was listening to it today, I was like, I don't know how, and I thought the same thing. We did a bonus episode recently because we're, we're in the year 95. So we were talking about, even though it's not rev related, we we're talking about Jawbreaker, Dear You. And I feel the same way about this one where I don't know why it wasn't huge. Because when I, when I hear this, I'm just like, the songs are, are so good. The lyrics are so good. Like the recording is good. It doesn't really, to me, sound dated. Like, I don't know why, you know, this wasn't, 
the one of the biggest things to come out that we were year. fighting so many battles uh with, with not just trying to get out and you know play our music but also with the record label itself uh who are having like inner oh, yeah. a lot of inner turmoil we couldn't get that we couldn't get that album into people's hands yeah the long term yeah. which yeah. is a huge problem you yeah. know and we, we had so tail went to radio and actually had a great debut at radio at mm -hmm. like you know alt radio and, and and other formats um and the, again the album wasn't available anywhere it was in like one tower record store in new york it wasn't anywhere it wasn't anywhere in north america at the time it was out and being otherwise sort of promoted but even that got really screwed up but it, it was you know it was a a perfect storm of of cataclysmic errors yeah and in ego i think there were just so many egos between the what on the business side of things between uh, people and their willingness to work with each other and we suffered in between i think all the ego that was going on it made it very difficult I mean, to work yeah hollywood just they didn't have a machine running to to put bands out into the market you know i mean uh, you know, it's, uh, who knows what would have happened if we would have picked another label that was established but you know it seems like that was part of it they just they didn't have all the networks and relationships and ongoing you know uh kind of business buzz that that a you know that a proper major label has because they were just starting we were hand among the handful well, yeah they hired to see what would they happen hired a few, they hired a few veterans but they mm -hmm. were just overpaid and weren't doing yeah it doesn't matter yeah later i realized uh how important it is to you know the difference between like richie said yeah. veterans and an ongoing you know active business which they yeah. didn't have and our management which seemed like it would be a good idea especially when it comes to radio they also didn't have an, a real you know good system for actually managing bands you know they, they they were a promotion company so that was another kind of experimental thing that we tried that you know probably wasn't in our best interest yeah and, and along those lines i think like the person who got the band the most and had worked with us longest probably at that point was stormy shepherd mm. who was booking us and they wanted us to kind of go with someone different um than stormy and they pushed us in that direction uh so we're 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 definitely at that point fighting a lot of different battles and again like a lot of different uh conflicting opinions of what we should do and we kind of got stuck between a lot of really difficult places uh business-wise with this you know yeah hollywood um I know I've mentioned it before, but the at the same time as into another, your tour mates, Seaweed, um, who also I think put out a fantastic album that year on Hollywood, mm -hmm. seemed to have the same exact problems as as yeah, you guys had. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Did you one, commiserate band, about that at all when you're on the, tour? Well, like the one the one band that kind of sent sent up smoke signals that we, we never saw a cut were were Bush, and they actually let them leave with their record before it came out and, and gave them all the rights to, to their record and then they went to interscope and went you know like quadruple platinum or something but um yeah so uh, we, there were more than a couple of bands that had an issue with hollywood hollywood records was they were good at um releasing and distributing soundtracks to disney films and touchstone and miramax and all the mm -hmm. that disney owns but they weren't they were not they they weren't built to 
nurture the careers of and and then of rock bands you know using the term rock very broadly and to right. then you know like uh to nurture their careers and to promote and distribute properly yeah just bad i mean they were supportive of us so they they did support us in, in touring they just they just yeah didn't have that institution there were, there were there were some really like lovely people there were some there were some less lovely people there and you know whatever <laughs> We're not we can't blame everything on, on them but it was uh, it was no. an unfortunate um you know convergence of of uh, you know of events and dynamics and bad luck yeah we, we we did we went out on the first tour after the record came out and um you know it was mostly a pretty normal tour for us you know our fans who recognize our our, our you know previous catalog uh and we were going along like that, and uh, we got to Colorado Springs, and uh, we played this pretty big room, and it was very well uh, attended. Um, and apparently, they'd been playing tail a lot on the local rock station, and this audience didn't really know our old material. But then when tail came on, it was like at a, it was like at a Skinner tailgate party, you know, chicks on the on guys' shoulders, and everybody was like waving and. <laughs> Remember that shit. We're, like, we're like, oh, so I, this is what it's like when you have a hit song. I, I was like, so this is what it's like when you're Smash Mouth and you have one song. That, <laughs> that song charted on Billboard. I saw online. Uh, it did. Okay. It did. It they played on regular rock radio here, I believe. To the top forty. On okay. Radio. Nice. And what were what other tours yeah. were you doing around that time? I saw I saw the into another seaweed tour, but I saw that too uh stabbing I, think was, uh, I think we played with stabbing westward uh, at that time we, wow. we did a couple of different festivals here and there um it's yeah it's hard to it's hard to kind of recollect because i feel like we were jumping from from bits and pieces of things we we didn't really do we did our own headlining tour which i always think like you know in hindsight was was the way we should have kept going and and it's still it's still you know it still is it's hard to find i think bands that fit with us really well um but yeah they were more bits and, and pieces as far as the tours went you know little weeks or two weeks stints with with different people yeah and then were you touring into 96 then or like yeah um yeah our last show uh you know uh before we stopped playing for a long time was i think it was july I don't know third or something 96 okay i would never have been able to do to do that Pete. that's we <laughs> I, I believe we we kind of wanted to to at that point we realized that we're not going to get any more traction with the record and we needed to kind of get in and get back to work get a new record done and the record label at that point had we had a, a big meeting with like the, the head of the record label and our management and us and it turned into a huge fiasco we, we it almost got into a brawl between management and uh and the record label like like a physical altercation that we were kind of caught in the middle of and uh and then we were just put on basically a holding pattern they said look you know based on on i think the events of that meeting we were just kind of like you know we're, we're not going to fund the band we're not going to you know we you know we're, we were kind of dead to them for a period of time which was 
a long period of time, I think about over a year, and was a, a big reason, I think, that, that the, the eventually led to the band's demise was that sort of inability to work or do anything over that course of time. Mm. Very what, sad. What, very, yeah, very we're, sad. we're talking about just like miserable shit. Let's well, I mean, it's... Yeah, that's when things got bad for us after that. Yeah, yeah I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it was definitely a different vibe than, uh, you know, the days of like Creepy EP or Ignorus. If, you know, I mean, truth be told, it wasn't, it wasn't like the most fabulous time. In the months leading up to my first suicide attempt, actually, <laughs> I, yeah. When we were talking but, about Ignorus uh, after, well, after the, we were talking about Ignorus, uh, you know, the other time, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking about that, that, uh, you know, the first, uh, the first record in Creepy EP, you know, I mean, you have the, me and Tony, the metalheads and Drew and Richie coming from like the hardcore side. So there, there was still, you know, we hadn't really grown together and and uh, sort of fully agreed on music until we got it really into Ignorus, where I think we all were really kind of on the same wavelength about what we thought, you know, was was our music, and and we were, large, you know, we'd still argue over let's change this or do that, but overall we were very uh, well aligned in in what we thought, you know, was our product, um, mm -hmm. and you know, after after, you know, getting on Hollywood and sort of facing, you know, the, the broader music business. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we all had a lot of thoughts, but we again started to kind of grow apart on what we thought was our product, you know? And uh, you, I mean, you probably heard the, you know, the, the English record, it's obviously very different than, any, than all previous into another. And it sort of reflects that, that, you know, where, where we had this, you know, very harmonious period, we sort of grew apart again. Right. And you, you figure too, at that point in your lives, you're, you know, 90, 96 or whatever, I'm assuming you're like mid twenties, late twenties. Um, and your life sort of starts to change like around that time too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can imagine being at that age and you've been doing this band for at this point, five, well, no, six years, like nonstop. And it had to be a little bit scary, I would think, after because had to, I mean, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do now? You know, like no when when things ended. So what what did you guys when when you officially decided to split up? What was life like after that? What did you guys do? This is the most depressing interview ever. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I, Wait, okay. are we going to talk about the record some more? <laughs> yeah, I know it's relevant. It's relevant. You know, I mean, shit. It was. I, I ended up staying in London for a really long time over the course of the recording of that last never released album. Oh, I can't wait to talk about Soul Control. I spent a lot no, of. We're not doing that. I spent, yeah. a, of, <laughs> no I spent a ton of 1997 in. Uh, and maybe going to many a lot of time there staying there and then um yeah then i just uh i personally i came home i had moved to los angeles and i just went back there and um descended into a a bleak uh dark period of 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 torment and misery 
That's I'm glad that, I asked the question. That, that continues <laughs> to this. That continues to this day, and I'm actually kind of, it's kind of peaking right now. Uh, it's at its it's at its zenith right now. Thank thanks to this. Okay. I worked in Manhattan. Well, I got married in '96, and and those guys were there. Um, and uh, I uh, started working in Manhattan, and uh, eventually I moved to Westchester and had a son and. Uh, Started living like a conventional person for a while. Yeah. Was it hard yeah. to adjust? Like into that? Like, I just can't like. Yeah, kind of. I've, Tony and I used to get together, I don't know, every every other week uh, in at a rehearsal space in the city with a, there was a couple of friends, uh, drummers that we'd just get together with and, uh, you know, jam and, and enjoy playing music um you know it was, it was very therapeutic and wonderful so uh uh you know that that was uh good to kind of you know keep a keep in touch with playing music and you know especially with tony and how about you drew what did you what did what were you well i guess after this you were started kind of planting the seeds with new rising songs. Yeah, I mean, it was just a, a, a tumultuous period, though, because it went on for a fucking long time, man. It was like from trying to deal with all the, the, the you know, the, the hassles from what we were going to do about continuing the, to, to support Seamless to um, feeling like we didn't have any possible momentum that we could get, you know, after the record label put us in limbo. Uh, and then coming back, the record label reformed with like a new regime at the record label. It said, go back in and, and we want you to do a new record. So it was like for a long time, it was, um, you know, it was trying to like reignite uh, aspects of, of the band. And, you know, but albeit with a lot of, you know, grievous injuries along the way. Uh, so in that Specifically period, my I, finger. Yeah, yeah. It was very grievous. Uh. But like along that, you know, during that period of time, I wasn't like, you know, I, I felt like, um, hey, this is really all I know how to do or know what to do. And I, I didn't really want to, I wasn't ready to, to say like, I can, I can stop this right now. So, I, you know, I took it upon myself to try to work on something else for a bit, which became the New Rising Suns. But that, you know, that caused its own uh, set of, of, of injuries within, I think, the feelings of the band, too, because um, I remember there was a lot of pressure to keep that under wraps um, and, and otherwise, like the rest of the band could suffer in terms of like, you know, what the record label would be willing to do for us. I felt a lot of pressure about that. And all I wanted to do was play music and try to uh, work on something. And I miss the camaraderie of like, you know, the band being together and touring and working together all the time. And I didn't really know, and to a, a large degree, I still don't know what to do without that aspect of my life. Um, so I just kind of went ahead and, and did that. And, uh, you know, and then that became its own thing. But again, the process was really a long process because we had to deal with starting a whole new record and, and, uh, and, and trying to figure out what we were gonna do with that one with a, a, a new label president and, a, you know, the whole bit. So it wasn't as easy to rehearse. We, you know, back when we had our own rehearsal room, it was great. We could just go in there any old time we wanted. But, yeah. uh, you know, uh, toward, toward the end there, you know, we were always renting hourly time and hauling our gear in and out of the room. And it was kind of a hassle. And yeah. we didn't get it to spend nearly as much time, you know, crafting uh, as we had earlier. Right. Yeah. Well, I actually had, you know, now won't be facetious anymore. I, I actually kept writing 
songs. And what, after the, we just stopped, you know, after, you know, the last record we had finished recording it, we knew it was going to be shelved and deleted or whatever. And I, and I, and although I wasn't very happy, I continued to write and I learned um, in the sort of, as I was just, I was just kind of recording songs at home, just, you know, whatever. Um, and nothing ever came, came of that. But I, but I learned that because of our contract, even though, you know, one of, one of the clauses in our contract uh, basically forbade me from releasing anything for two years after the termination of the, of our agreement with Hollywood, which was, you know, like really rubbed salt in, in the wounds. So it was like, I was writing stuff and, and I really couldn't do anything with it for two years. I was, or else I could, another litiga litigation could have started, even though there was one and we settled it. So that was really terrible. Um, but, you know, I never, the, the, thank God, and I, I think this is true for all of us, we never lost the desire to just keep creating music, so. Yeah, I, Richie, I re vaguely recall around, I'm gonna say 2003, 2004, you were playing solo, like acoustic shows around that time, right? Yeah, I did a couple and I played a couple of, you know, I would play a couple of Into Another Songs, a couple of covers, a couple of songs I had written that never you know, got released. And, um, and, and the, one, the only thing I did as far as recording once I was allowed to again, was backup vocals on a song on my friend's album. You know, <laughs> like, so yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, never stopped writing. I mean, I still, you know, I still play my guitar every day and we all still uh, make music, every member of Into Another, and, and, and we still have it in mind to write and record more Into Another songs, so. Yeah, nice. yeah, good. And try to also get this seamless record that we speak of uh, at some point, hopefully, uh, re-released or, you know, digitally released, whatever we can do. I think, you know, like what you were saying, like to try to, uh, stop being lazy about it and get it out. Cause it'd be nice as far as our catalog to, to have it be heard again. Now, I, I, I wouldn't mind kind of finishing what the, the album everyone calls soul control at some point. Ooh, that'd be tight. Um, yeah. The, so the reason why I remember uh, you playing around in 2003, 2004 is because you had a MySpace page and one of the songs from the album known as Soul Control was on there. And I, in my memory, it was listed as um, the only one, but on the CD version I have, it's called Always Alone. No, yeah, so neither of those is correct. Great, I'm glad we got that sorted out. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's called only, but with an if in parentheses before it. Okay. If only. And, and also the, uh, there, that album had a few like working titles and actually uh -huh. the, the, the first one that was in my head was just kind of a joke. It was a play on the doors, horse latitudes, and it was horse, like horse voice with an A in it, uh, H O A mm. platitudes, horse platitudes, soul control was another, it had just multiple working titles, but that was just, um, that whole, that album, that whole process was such a like sort of descent. It was like, uh, you know, the, the last days of, of, of someone going insane and, and like 
some dungeons. I'm getting divorced at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Like if you ever read, there's an autobiography of, uh, of the great ballet dancer Nijinsky and it's, it's excerpts from his diary. And by the time it gets to the end, it's just like total gibberish, like scribbled and, and total craziness. And that was our Nijinsky's last pages. I feel like that song only if could have appeared on if seamless, only. if only, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, always alone that could have appeared on seamless it kind of has a similar vibe especially in contrast to the rest of the songs on that album which have a very like dark um mm -hmm. sometimes electronic feel so I, I i will say that i enjoy that song and i enjoy a lot of that um what has surfaced as the tracks on that record also cool i had a question um to Richie, you mentioned singing backups. Is that on the album Brand New Love by Deadsy? Yeah, so it was It was on, the, well, the, the song was Brand New Love, which is a Sebado cover. They, they had an album called Commencement. I, I was, um, so the singer of that band, Elijah, was kind of like, uh, he was a close friend and kind of like a kid brother to me in the, in the years I was living in LA and, and actually before I moved out there. And so I was always kind of around them and he was really curious about a lot of the same, a lot of music that I loved, you know, like he was, he got really into, into and, and, and two-way army and stuff. And, and um, I was just, we were just hanging out a lot together. And then at one point he, he has a very kind of baritone voice and, and doesn't really sing in high register. So he just asked if I would come in and kind of sing an octave up on that song and, and I was I was around the recording studio a lot when they were making that. So one day I just went in and sang, and and it was it was really weird to be, you know, like 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 Drew never stopped. He was like always in recording studios and recording. I hadn't done it in a while, so it was it was actually a very bittersweet moment, you know, because I wasn't I wasn't doing like my thing, but I was in a studio again with like the cans on my head and the big mic in front of me, and it felt you know it was really stoned. It was weird. So if people want to check out, it was the the, the album is commencement and the song. Yeah. Was, okay. The song was brand new love. Yeah. And there, there's a video and there's a few frames of me in the video. You blink. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah. I'll check that out. I had a guest question from uh, Josh Holden. He's the bass player for American Nightmare, played with Daryl Palumbo in uh, oh, Head Automatica. I, and yeah. he said he knew you, Drew. Yeah. And uh, he, he wanted me to ask Richie if you were influenced by for the more melodic kind of lullaby-esque songs by Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or if there's anything that Willy you drew inspiration the Chocolate Factory well, the well, you put the Charlie in the Chocolate Factory he, so he, he's then he's talking about the Roll Doll book which yes was always a huge every Roll Doll book uh, that I read as a child was a huge influence on me um, the film Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, mm -hmm. the Gene Wilder film, um, is also a huge. Uh, I, I don't know that I was ever consciously channeling any of that, but sure, both the Roll Doll book and the original, uh, I think it's 1971 film, um, were huge, huge influences on me, are forever ingrained oh, in my psyche and my soul. That's awesome to hear. That's probably he, just yeah, there and in, in your uh, yeah, sorry, Jason. Oh, I was gonna say that he he wanted 
he said that on the song Crisis of Faith, which is on the latest American Nightmare record, that he does a bass part that's 100% homage to Tony and his bass wow. playing. So, well, that's beautiful. Wow. Nice. Please give him our love. Will do. There is a, um, I don't know if you ever heard the Smoking Popes do a really great cover of a song from the film. Uh, they do Pure Imagination. Pure Imagination. That's everyone's favorite song. Yeah, it's a fantastic cover. And you'll be, yeah. Um, so check that out too, I guess. I don't know. So speaking of songs, do you think, it, Hav, you think it's time for us to kick some... Uh, let's see who goes for i'm gonna put jason on the hot seat i like putting him on the hot seat dude without a question the way down i think the i think that from a fan perspective maybe something that you don't understand is that into another was the coolest you know the most stylish and the songs were the most interesting and for those lyrics to be so vulnerable and something that i connected to is i think really special back then and even putting the album on now in 2021, I still felt that connection. So that's my hot track. And the baseline is fucking wonderful on that. I had a melody, an unusual uh, bass melody uh, lead. Mm -hmm. And actually also I speaking of the way down. That, yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say, it looks like on that and on another track, Actual Size, Victor Axelrod does a Hammond B3 organ. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that's a trip. That's good knowledge. Dude. Yeah. Who's Victor Axelrod? <laughs> oh, my God. He was, I don't know. I don't know. It says it in the record. So, so he was, yeah, he was a guy. So he was involved in that, you know, at the time in New York, there was a, first there was a huge uh, wave of, rediscovering kind of rare groove and soul music and stuff a lot of that came about because from like 1988 or 89 well into the 90s uh my friend uh frankie and did did a, a club called soul kitchen which was attended by you know everyone from q-tip to bismarcky to everyone that was basically sampling a rare groove and they'd stand around and see what records he was playing and, and um and then that kind of led into the whole kind of acid jazz thing and giant step thing that evoked a lot of like bebop jazz and, 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 you know, from the fifties and sixties and stuff. Anyway, Victor Axelrod played with, um, he was like a sessions guy and he played with a couple of those kind of giant step era bands. And he was, he was amazing on the Hammond organ and the Mellotron and like every cool, you know, kind of period instrument. Um, yeah. And, and I forget, I, I just reached out to a couple of friends and they suggested him and, um, yeah, and I think he adds a lot to the song. Actually, it's a really cool texture. Yeah, it's a cool. It's cool. It, mm -hmm. I was I was going to use the word texture. It adds a nice texture to it. Mm. So, who's next? Let's say Peter. May I? <laughs> May I? I saw you guys did. You you recently within the last year didn't you do like a. Uh, was it an on not an online? Didn't you like collaborate, like redo uh, Richie that and song? I played it for somebody. Uh, yes, it was a. Um, it was a it was a juggalo convention. Hmm. <laughs> nice, the gathering. Very sad yeah. situation. Uh, 
and and uh, we tried. To, I think we did it over Zoom, so it was pretty chaotic because you can't really play live over. Yeah. Over Who Zoom. knows what came out of people's speakers? Yeah. I did see a. I did see a. a you know, uh, the video after the fact, and it, it it worked. It wasn't terrible, but we couldn't really hear each other, so it was just random. But yeah, yeah, somebody requested it for a uh, special situation. You know nice. what I what I love about that song are the the vocal effects. First, um, it the Leslie. It's very haunting, and then when the drums kick in on that song, they're so powerful, um, and it's like it's such a slow burner. Uh, that is not my hot track, but that song <laughs> is. Yeah incredible to me no, that's that's oh, all that's always written. one take actually the way we did it wow. we put it together live and so i think the one song that we we kept everything as one full take from front to back when we had rehearsed it and uh and then uh maybe I, I think even there's just one guitar track on that right pete it's just all the way through like it's that's it um that I don't remember. But it was mixed in mono as well, so it's well, kind of and not in mono. Rick was oh, split, but it's Rick, split hard, panned hard. Like it's right. it's sixty right. style. Rick was really into it. It was like his favorite song, I think, on the on the album or or one of them. Um, and uh, that and uh, uh, Wounded Ran, right? Um, and he wanted to do this like early Beatles style sixties mix where the drums are hard. I, I forget which side they're on, but totally hard on one side. I don't know if the guitar is hard on on the other side, but it, it's like the the old style, like not what we're used to stereo. It's actually very Ramones nineteen seventy six on the first album they do that. They group. Yeah, that's how people learn to play guitar. A lot of times they just turned up the and, one uh, side. Uh, Leslie speaking early Van Halen records also. Yeah, yeah. The, the Leslie speaker, uh, the vocal through the Leslie speaker sounds really cool too on that track. I think that's yeah, one. so we, we yeah, I, I sang through a, a Leslie for people who don't know, which is a motorized speaker where the cone spins around on like a pinion. And uh, and then we just remiked that. So I sang through a, that speaker cabinet, that spinning speaker cabinet that Leslie and we. You see them all, all the time. It's this huge box that goes along yeah. with the Hammond B3 organ usually. Yeah. Exactly. Wild. See, that's the info we're here for. That's it. <laughs> yeah that's cool that was great. Um, i mean that studio was great it was a big long room they uh they were very proud of their their unique drum sound and they had awesome gear in the in the in the control room right a big board, yeah, yeah deck. which was cool all the all the best stuff you know Re really nice analog studio london london bridge that london was bridge, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, yeah and that and that's where uh like you said pearl jam 10 i think was done there um the a lot of, a lot of the dog records they did the blind there. melon record there i think and then uh some some alice and chains like i think yeah, when uh, we got uh, there alice were mixing uh jerry cantrell i think was doing a solo record yeah. there at that point yeah yeah they were loading out like i think they loaded out a few hours before we pulled in or something yeah and then like, we actually drove across went, country for when i was living in la years later i strangely uh started briefly hanging out with jerry cantrell later because he's really close with uh, a friend of mine there and we actually went to see the film prometheus together <laughs> <laughs> nice awesome see there's a little That's right. it, it was it was funny because we drove like drew said we drove across the country in our shitty old uh you know ram 350 uh 
you know, New York hardcore modified plywood filled, you know, garbage van. Totally. Uh, all the way straight across the country. And, you know, we were, I think that we were, I think in Washington state and they were like, oh, you know, whatever, Jerry Cantrell's is uh, loading out so take your time. And we're like, wow, this is neat, you know, cause we're literally uh, going from, you know, our, our, you know, revelation do it yourself world into this, like, you know, yeah. real deal music, uh, you know, pro music land. Yeah. Wait, no, then there was another time before that. Maybe it's, I don't know, if, did we do like a scouting thing or maybe someone went out there prior? Because I remember another time. You and I went there. out and mixed uh, and, yeah. and uh, Blind Melon was in Rick's rental house. And right. I'm with no, that. But, but Alice in Chains were actually finishing mixes on some, uh -huh. some uh -huh. record. Yeah. Because I remember seeing Lane Staley wearing gloves and it was like hot. Oof. Yeah. Was, yeah. I was actually reading recently some stuff he about had, He was covering track marks on his fingers, apparently. But. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that's a, just a sad story. Yeah, what, sad. what happened with him? Because uh, super, super talented. Yeah, I remember. He just come out with a mad season record at that point. I remember because uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. our, our uh, one of the two A&R guys, uh, John D., uh, who worked in tandem with David Walter? John was was part was working A and R for the Mad Season record at that point, which I thought was an amazing record. No, he, he was an incredible talent. He, I mean, yeah. what a voice! I remember too. I, I don't think this is a Mandela effect. There was like a Metal Maniacs magazine or something, and they asked people like their top their current playlists. And Richie, were you in in that? Because I feel like I remember there was like. Stone Temple Pilots and Alice in Chains, like stuff I was kind of like, oh wow. I don't think well, no, no, because that, that wouldn't have been on that wouldn't have been on my playlist. Not not to take anything away from those bands, but um, but but that particular periodical was very near and dear to to Peter's heart. Um, his, his, <laughs> that was my my ex-wife. That she was the editor at the time. Yeah. Oh really. I loved that magazine back then. <laughs> they would have like stuff like, you know, different. I wrote, I wrote some stuff for it. Like I interviewed Ozzy and, and Getty Lee and uh, Scatterbrain. And I, I did a bunch of interviews and record reviews and stuff. Nice. Well, I guess I don't know where I, I must have made that up then in my head. Uh, but I don't know. Or, or maybe, maybe someone just, uh, someone, you know, accredited that playlist to me. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't make that playlist because I guess the whole the whole crux of what I'm, I have a sort of a point in bringing that up is like to me, like you know I talked about earlier where I thought this should have been big. Like I don't see why people that listened to those bands um, wouldn't have loved this album. People that liked, yeah, you know, it's House and Chains. I I admired a lot of those musicians. I remember at that time, I think my favorite current band was Blur, huh. not, not a Seattle band. I was mesmerized by Blur and, and Damon Albarn. So like that was resonating with me more than uh, Oasis. And definitely. Uh, we already, we already <laughs> had we did cover that. Drew, Drew, uh, <laughs> Drew actually introduced me to Britpop by playing the Oasis like before it broke here. And, um, and I remember, and I had, when, when I first heard Blur, like on their first album, and I and I heard like There's No Other Way or something, I was like, oh, this is like that baggy, like Madchester stuff. And I didn't realize they were going to go to this much deeper place, which they did. And like, so, you know, like 
so for me, like Modern Life is Rubbish, you know, became one of my favorite albums and, and actually everything they did, everything they released. Um, so, so at that time in the mid nineties, they were my favorite current band. And I, yeah, I was, I was much more team Blur than team Oasis. They had a ton of, they had a lot of great records, Blur. Um, and I don't hate Oasis at all. And I mean, some of those songs are like unbelievable. You know, they're incredibly, yeah. you know, they just they're 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 not they don't just have hooks they stay with you forever and and but but i was more because i'm really into lyrics and i was uh, i i i was uh much more moved by damon albarn's lyrics oh i was just gonna ask i don't think i asked you before who are your some of your favorite lyric writers of all time yeah of all time uh lennon and mccartney uh jagger richards uh Dylan, uh, Cole Porter, Irving Berlin. Um, I, I mean, so many. I, I you know, I'm from from every era. Um, you know, I do love a lot of the. I do like taking it way back. I, I'm not joking about Cole Porter. I think he used like clever innuendo and pregnant phrasing. You know, in in popular music, like better than anyone else at the time. And there's a lot of darkness in, in there. And um, I, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of the whole, you know, early, late 60s, early 70s uh, British stuff. I'm a, I'm a huge Pink Floyd fan. Um, a lot of, a lot of their lyrics, um, you know, to this day resonate with me deeply but you know a lot of the usual characters uh i, I love i actually love joni mitchell as a lyricist very much and ladies of the canyon some of that, that album is some of the most beautiful lyrics and song to a seagull that whole album a, t a ton of people um too too many to name and i'm sure i'm going to kick myself for forgetting a lot of them. <laughs> but um uh, you know a, a lot of a lot of Clash stuff has absolutely incredible lyrics. And I, and I love the way that the, the Clash worked in a lot of references to things that were affecting them culturally. Like there are a lot of references to that, you know, to to the influx of, of Jamaican music and culture into England, you know, and he, he calls out like, uh, you know, Delroy Wilson and Leroy Smart and, and you know, and names like the Delroy Wilson song Cool Operator and stuff like that. And I always like that too in in like in poetry or in lyrics when there are references to other, you know, other people's work and stuff. But um Yeah, and then it kind of takes you down the rabbit hole a lot of times and you can discover a lot of new stuff. Yeah. I like that as well. But then I also I love a lot of lyrics that are just fun and bubblegum. I mean I I'm the Ramones are one of my favorite bands, and those, and those silly lyrics in their in their irreverence are absolutely brilliant. You know, like "Beat on the Brat" or you know, so you know, far too many to name. Yeah. So we learned from last time, just just not Ari, just everyone but REM. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I have, I, 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 I like, I don't know why it is, but I, yeah, REM really, really get on my nerves <laughs> I, there's something about you know and I, I i don't even know if i should go further but yeah there's it's just i just doesn't 
there's it's a personality i i just i'm not moved and, and it doesn't do it for me and, and then you'll go come on radio free europe and i'll go nope and yeah so well do you have a hobbit your hot track can you give us a hot track on uh seamless am, am i the only one who hasn't no either yeah, Drew's we didn't hear good. Drew's. We're, we're doing a we're, we're we're going to you next, and then uh, <laughs> um, after birth, say after. I had to put on my hot tracks glasses. Uh, hot tracks. So what wheels are those? <laughs> uh, these are some bones. Bones. Uh, oh shit! You still yeah. push around? Nice. Yeah, that's that's about all I just push around. My but same my, here. Nice. My nine-year-old, nine you know, he's dropping in the, on the half pipe. And he oh, goes, fuck. Oh. That's awesome. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's doing, like, little lip tricks, and he's ollieing and stuff. So, yeah. Um, uh, my – so here's the thing. I, I do this a lot. There, I'm, I'm torn between two hot tracks. Dealing? I actually like <laughs> that because like then you get to talk about yeah. – Yeah, talk about both then. Yeah. Well, actually, no. I'm going to boil it down to one. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be that guy again. I, I'm going to go. It's tough. I really. I, I. There are a lot of songs on that album I love, but for me, I think just because for a lot of reasons, and and just when I think about just just lyrics that really like uh, that I can still really feel this really, I'm going to go with "Tail," the Amphibian in Love. That's that's uh, that's where I'm going. So, uh, all right. I'll give my hot track. Kick it. Um, this was this was difficult. Like I said, there's there's no skippers on here, um, which a lot of times makes it way more difficult because there's nothing to narrow down. Um, I, I always feel like I don't necessarily like to pick like this the song that was like a single all the time. Like you want to be a little more clever, and but I, I have to go with mutate me. I feel like when I think of Into Another, that's like the first song I think of. That bass intro and just how everything mm. crashes in and, uh, you know, everybody's just on fire. Richie, you hit that note, uh, you know, that long note in the beginning, the high note. It gives me chills every time. Like, I just absolutely love it. Um, and this is like, again, song. yeah, one of those songs where I'm like, this should have been on every fucking rock radio in thanks you know it's just that bass too we i feel like it comes up a lot but the the, the opening bass it, it was that used there. on like road rules or something it was, that was used on something wasn't it oh i don't opening. know if it was that song there was it was a way down i think was 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 that was used for that, that like every it. every decade or so i think we we share like 39 Ten cents, cents. yeah <laughs> back in <laughs> it was like <laughs> The real world Antarctica. Right. Yeah. The way down. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's my mutate man. I know there's a, there's an awesome yeah. video for it um, that we talked about earlier. It's a stellar opening track, which I love. Like to me, this flows like an album. Um, much like you know, I said the same about Ignorus, but like this flows in like a different way than Ignorus. Like, you know, we we talked on on that episode about how that one almost sounds like you guys just getting into a room, you know, Tony's plant starts playing that little bass line at the beginning, and then you just play for the entire duration. This one sounds like it's just really, I don't, 
it, uh, it just it doesn't have that sound of like, hey, we're just playing start to finish, but it flows perfectly. If that makes sense, like it's just like the collection of songs um, just has the perfect flow because the way down is there's no other way you could close this record than that song. Uh, so yeah, that's mine. So I have, Hoff, two, I have two comments on some stuff you just said. Okay. Uh, as an album, I really enjoy how this is cut on vinyl and cassette as well with side B starting with four wounded Wren. And for the most part, side B is a little bit mellower than side A. Side A has a lot of the, the rockin' mm-hmm. tunes and side B, there are some uh, more quiet things. I'm just gonna go ahead and say, I'm gonna preface this by saying, this is one of my favorite records, probably of all time. It's my favorite Into Another record and it has my favorite Into Another song, but there's a song on this record that I always skip. Okay. Uh, I always skip regarding Earthlings. I think that it has a little bit of a different, like, I. it's funny that Alice in Chains has been thrown around a lot because I almost think that that song sounds like Alice in Chains sometimes. And I think that put up a like a block for me. Now, I don't think that it's a bad song, but in comparison to the the masterpiece that is all the other songs, it somehow it just doesn't flow in my mental and emotional version of how this record fair. goes. So, Greg, that's when you say no skippers. Unfortunately, I have a skipper. <laughs> There's a skipper. I'm, I'm, I'm. Jason knows what I'm about to say. I'm. What am stunned. I going to say, Jason? Greg stunned. stunned. <laughs> I'm stunned. Stone, stone cold stunned. <laughs> but I do like that you, what you mentioned about it being separated where the the a lot of the quieter stuff is on the second side but still it flows like an album and that's that's tough to do cuz sometimes if it's weighted one way of one style and then just immediately like you know goes into something else it can not sound like that like but sometimes it's cool like you know two records i always think of that are split like that are um descendants i don't want to grow up is like that where the second side is all this like really great power pop you know influenced by the last like you know that really shines and then the beach boys today has like all the like you know the first side is all the like kind of just like standard rock and roll stuff and then you on the second side you get that glimpse into like oh this these are this is the band that's going to have pet sounds Um, and i we talked about it a little bit with Ignorus too, because I feel like Ignorus is similarly weighted in the fact that side B has a little bit more of those slower tunes, you know, Maritime Murder and William, and and uh, it it is it starts off like aggressive and then moved towards a little bit less aggressive. And interestingly, both of these records, the first side has one more song than the second side. I know that was planned out and I, I see what you guys are doing here in your master plan to, you know, take over. Good. So I did. Numerology. Yeah. yeah. They just didn't want an even number of tracks. Yeah. My favorite into another song is getting nowhere. And that's also my hot track. There's not yeah. a, go ahead. Yeah, I, I want you to continue, but we played that song uh, like what, two, whatever, three years ago or something. Yes. And we were surprised mm-hmm. at the, the audience reaction when we played. 
you know, because we hadn't really played it a lot, you know, at, at live shows. And, and it was very interesting to see people really come to life for it. Yeah. Well, if you think about the kind of some of the kind of people who turn towards hardcore and this kind of music have a dark side and a and maybe some depression going on. And I, I could relate to these lyrics especially and even my wife who has never heard into another before i think other than secondhand in my car she knows the line and this song i've never been happier although i must admit i've never been happy at all and and it's <laughs> i I just have related to that line, especially in maybe more so than any other into another lyrics, but to, to go through so many like failed relationships, lost loves, um, nights spent arguing endlessly, uh, maybe about nothing and having nothing be resolved. And also the imagery of royalty being thrown into this song with kings, queens, monarchs, her majesty, and like worshiping. There's what's what's the um is it the jawbreaker lyric? When I throw myself at your feet, you know it's to be walked on. I think that that lyric kind of is a good like companion to the the sentiments of this song. Now again. This could be when you listen to Morrissey and you're like, oh, yeah, I know how he's feeling. And he just comes out and he's like, oh, yeah, that was just a story. That wasn't that was how I think someone else feels. So no, you're understanding it perfectly. You're interpreting that song perfectly, actually. And that's uh, yeah, I was. Yeah, the, no, nothing in there is uh, is is contrived. It's all um, very much distilled from experience. And you're right, you're right about it. So yes, I'm singing about the futility. I'm singing about the projection and the worship. And, uh, you know, and, and there are other references in there, like the, the boards we're treading, you know, treading the boards is a, is a term for acting, you know, for, 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 you know, and there's a great deal of that that goes into a relationship. And uh, yeah, so it's, uh, you, you're, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. I stayed away from that one because that song is actually like, you know, it's still, um, for me, it, it evokes some painful feelings. Yeah. That's a yeah. lyric too, Hav, that, that also jumped out at me. I, you know, I, I've mentioned it before, but we don't, you don't, in, in today's world, I don't think you have as much time as we used to when we we're younger to sit and like read the lyrics while you're listening to a record. And uh, even today, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to put on the record on the turntable and actually sit and read the lyrics, which I haven't done in years because it's just you know kind of not how you know we consume music and it's right. sad or whatever that's commentary we'll save for another time and that was also a lyric that really jumped out at me um and sort of like i the lyrics on this whole record i think kind of play towards you know to bring up dear you again like what i was talking about i almost think this stuff was too smart to be like a super popular thing and that's not a a, a an insult that 
you know, popular things. I like a lot of things that are popular, but um, if I could think of one reason why maybe it didn't take off, it's almost like because it it was too um, too smart, um, and people maybe can't latch onto it. I don't, I don't know. That's you know, just one guy's opinion, but that line also, like you're saying, I know Greg that you're not really a lyrics guy all the time or, or you're not a, a, a song titles name sometimes but that part really jumps out at you because of also the way that it's sung it's so like sweet and falsetto but the sentiments that it's carrying are so heavy and then the last line of of those three lines is it like it just punches you you know it kind of goes on this like soft 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 heavy and um i i really do appreciate that well i want to clarify too i think my thing and i read i read this elsewhere is it's not it's not that i'm not a lyrics person but i like more like i pay more attention almost to the the mood that it evokes and like what you talked about there like it that ties it all together and there's songs like you know by bands where i don't really know what they're singing about but you can feel the emotion in it so the lyrics almost don't matter like you know we've talked about like there's nirvana lyrics where i'm like what the fuck is he singing about but you can tell that there's something there and i like that i like when it when the music and the lyrics both like help tell the story um but uh yeah i definitely see that in this track as well Great. I, I've been holding all of that, those words inside of me for years. So thank you for all of you for allowing me to thank you. finally verbalize that to someone other yeah. than my wife. I had a, 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 I had a question actually with lyrics before we get to Drew's hot track. In Locksmiths and Lawyers, mm-hmm. is Dave, Dave Stein, because isn't he a lawyer? Or is David, that just like a- David Bowie. David Bowie, because I figured Aladdin Sane is in there later. So yeah, the whole so, thing. Okay, yeah. I gotcha. I thought maybe I was being a little too literal, but no. It, what what it means is, you know, um, there are when you're a kid and you're listening to rock and roll. Sometimes there are certain people with whom you know you can relate, or you think you can, because of words they wrote, and and there's no one else in your life that's expressing those feelings, and so. You know, I cry to be Dave's friends. You know, the, the, there are a lot of rock and roll songs, not and not just Bowie songs. When I was a kid, that I would I would put on and I would cry um, because of of the way the the words moved me. Um, I still cry sometimes listening to it. Yeah. So so like you know yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, Dave is David Bowie. That's all. Yeah, because I, I, I did like the the Aladdin Sane nod later. I didn't know it was all the same. So thank mm-hmm. you for unlocking that for me pun intended yeah i got that (laughs) hey greg just just stand in the place where you live yeah (laughs) Yeah, it can't be locksmiths is like our 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 50s style rock and roll song you know it's uh (laughs) (laughs) he just tied that up in a bow i like yeah i'm just still amazed that Rick didn't want to work on that song because it's a, that's another highlight for me. That's just a great song. And that, that, that does have like the, um, 
that's probably the most live song on there because uh you know when we did the drum tracks we'd, we'd be in the, the the big recording room with with drew and i think i know at least one of my guitars survived from that you know or, you know the the drum take and yeah the, ba the bass part might also be from the yes same with seamless i think as well i remember we kept uh we kept some of that together as well as may i yeah i really like that song seamless we never we didn't play that that much uh we played it a little bit initially but uh yeah we, we didn't keep it in the set for very long but it's a it's a rocking tune <laughs> which is funny because it's the title track yeah MPB. right more of a like the, the hot track yeah so speaking of first, Drew, it was actually the first song that we recorded in that session we got there so I, we it? yeah it was i remember we got the it's like a cassette of it and we went back and we were just trying to check out the sounds for the record so back uh at that house we were staying oh, yeah. during the recording we, we popped the cassette in and we were like, oh, like sounds, a cool. we we're like all right all right this is gonna work and that that was the track that was the first one for I us remember, that's right i remember that yeah oh well yeah um but yeah um i think uh i think i have to i for me it's may i as well and i, I think i like the way that that song progressed from just like this little infant song to Rick's work with us on that particular track. And um, the fact that we, again, we played that song. I remember just tracking it together as a band and going for, let's get this as a live take. And that's the one song off that record, I think that, you know, is, is truly like a live take um, for the music. Um, it's weird too, because when you talk about like regarding Earthlings, I actually like that track a lot. And it's a, it's a strange amalgam of songs. I'm glad you guys think that they fit together all well, but I, I perceive this record a lot as like the beginning of the record is uh, tracks that we had, we, we kind of had in our pocket. And then there was a lot of tracks that we had to develop that we had as just kind of zygotes for the rest of the record and being pretty stressed out about it. I remember having sending Rick Prosher cassette tape of like a lot of these ideas and they weren't fleshed out. And I think the one that was from like the second half of our new songs from what was regarding Earthlings was like, this is okay. This is almost a full song we have. And a lot of the other ones, whether it's like getting nowhere or actual size or um, the way down, this is like a whole nother record because up till then we were playing a few of these live. So it was really done more in like two parts, but out of, um, it's hard for me not to say like a mutate me or a tail, but getting away from that side of the record, I'd say probably may I as well. Is that, that was my other, when I said I was torn between two, just for the record. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Wounded Ran is, uh, you know, um, fascinating song. It has the most tracks on it. There's, there's just lots and lots of overdubs and, I mean, where Richie decided to go with it is, you know, I mean, it's very sensitive territory and I think he floated in there, you know, yeah, just yeah. the right pitch. Yeah, I love, really, the, uh, I love the harmonics in that song. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like like uh, all different kinds of instruments stuck yeah. on there. Yeah. So we're so at the end of the day, this this, you know, because it seems like like we talked about, especially after this came out with the stuff with the label and the touring and then you know, this being your last record for, uh, gosh, tw 20 years, right? Omens is mm -hmm. 2015. Yeah. But with, with the hindsight and now having distance from it, like, where do you put this in the 
pantheon of Into Another? Like, how do you, as a whole, like, how do you feel about this album? Uh, for, for me, it's 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 hard for me. Um, for it's hard it, in ways. It's kind of tainted by the fact that it's the one on the label with which we had such an adversarial and then totally acrimonious relationship uh, with. But um, and just again, ju just for me, I think the you know in hindsight, if I think about all of the. It's really tough for me to pick any one album, but I, I, I think I probably, for me, um, both Ignorus and Seamless lyrically were where I, those are the two albums where I completely cast off any um, inhibition about uh, making myself vulnerable uh, lyrically with what I wrote about. And, and a lot of it's written in the voice of like, uh, you know, me as a child, basically, um, but with uh, the vocabulary of an adult. Um, so it's hard for me to pick between those two. Lyrically, I feel like Seamless might be more polished in ways, but 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 maybe it might sit just behind Ignorus only because Ignorus is such a uh, is such a unique, visceral emotionally raw, like stark naked um, performance by Into Another. I don't, know. I don't know. Yeah, I feel about the same way. Yeah, I mean, right. Seamless sounds great. You know, Rick did a great job recording it. And, uh, you know, it, it, um, and there's a lot of interesting material, a lot of, you know, as I look over the tracks here, a lot of, uh, it almost sounds like uh, it was recorded in in multiple studios kind of what you were saying yeah. you know and we did actually overdub some some stuff at a different studio but um yeah it it, it sounds um you know almost almost like you know a, a road trip of uh of different tunes you know um but you know agreeing with with richie uh ignores just has that like that time capsule you, you just right you're right, you're right in the room with us and and you're Right in the middle of us, you know, it's there's not really a ton of polish on it. It's kind of the the raw tactile experience of it. Um, I don't know. It, it, again, agreeing with Richie gives it that little bit of an edge to me. Yeah, I think that if I wonder sometimes if we could go back in in hindsight and we had a little bit more control in the into another fashion that we did something like ignore us, like how seamless would have turned out. I do like. Like Peter's saying, aspects of the production, I think he did a really good job with. But, you know, outside of like the beginning quarter of the record, which we had already done, I think there's a lot of that record I would have loved to have had more in our own creative pocket and been like, OK, this is what the band wants to do. Like if we had gone to more of a self-production, which we couldn't do, obviously, we're on a major label. But um, I think that being taken away from us definitely had an effect. And to me, it becomes almost like a tale of two records rather than one cohesive record. So yeah, um, that that's what flaws it to me. I feel like I, I hear where because of the production and things get in the way that it's divergent from the true nature of the into another stuff that I really love. Um, and, but that's really the only, the only thing, the production I do love. I wish we could have aspects of that production on Ignorus, you know? So, you know, 
Um, but but that being said, you know, I still like all four of those records very much. It's know? always interesting, I think, too, probably as a musician to hear like someone who wasn't involved, a.k.a. the, the three of us here and their take and how different it can be from what, you know, because you're personally attached to it. Whereas to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, this flows and and all this and that. Did you guys um, did you keep in touch with Rick at all after recording this or was it kind of like that was it like was he ever considered to do anything else with you guys like no i don't think so no, i don't think so no. we didn't really we got along we got along very very well with him we got along I mean, very well with him. Yeah. he was a, a, a mellow good pretty good natured guy you know uh um you know he, he worked quick and efficient and uh you know he, he had a very clear mind about his ideas uh you know which obviously <laughs> Uh, prevented him from, uh, you know, working on one song. But otherwise, he, he was really. We wanted to appeal to him because we wanted the record to, you know, yeah, be into another. But we wanted it to have this sort of more um, traditional, you know, rock. You know, we're all big fans of like '70s rock, and not that we wanted to make a '70s rock record, but we wanted to. We thought Rick would bring that. Uh, thinking a little bit and he did you know uh to to our recording instead of uh, you know making uh another sort of hardcore almost sounding record so we did want to make a step i mean the whole process of uh you know being courted by major labels and and having to work it out you know internally and uh just the pressure of you know making decisions and what are we doing and who do we trust it put a lot of pressure on the band and and uh uh, it you know interfered with our our artistic cohesiveness. So this record already starts to show little little cracks in our you know compared to you know like I was saying about Ignorus where we were very much on the same page. Here we're already starting to maybe you know see things a bit differently, especially after going through this whole you know label selection process and right. Uh, so you know they're, they're, I don't think yeah. we re oh, go ahead. Yeah, I don't think we really realized how much the pressure was getting into us as artists, you know? Yeah. I was just going to say, though, you know, it's 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 interesting because for people outside of the the inner sanctum of a band or it's it's, you know, it, it's often surprising, like what the artist loves and, and, and what the audience loves. And, and I think so often um, because, you know, we're not privy to those things at the time, you know, we might our favorite songs or albums by a band might be among their least favorite or there, you know, there's all those like classics or, you know, like uh, Tchaikovsky hated the 1812 overture or whatever. And there's a million of those like for a million different writers and, and, and performing artists and stuff. So in, in a way it's like, you almost don't want to know all of the, of those behind the scenes details in a way. Cause it, it you know, I, I would hope that it doesn't in any way like, taint someone's uh uh experience of of an album when they hear like the kind of warts and all inside you know scoop so. no i know what you mean it I, personally for me um i'm not a, i'm not affected by by it but yeah there's maybe some people that are like oh the band's not even happy well, well again not that you said you're not happy with it i'm using an extreme case where right. there's definitely yeah. records i like where the bands are like 
oh, I don't even like that album. Or, yeah. I mean, we've all gone, I'm sure, to see bands where they don't play like some of your favorite songs because they don't like, you know, they probably don't care for whatever the record is, especially maybe, you know, it happens a lot of times if it's like an sometimes a very early album or, you know, yeah. something like that. But um, yeah, I like knowing the stuff. Yeah. Just because hopefully other people do too. I hope so. You know. Good. Awesome. Thanks, fellas. Yeah. Well, I think that was Yo, yo, into another man. Yeah, I was thinking today how, unless we do, you know, I want to talk omens at some point. Yes, but theoretically, this could be the last into another episode we have. And yeah. I was getting kind of bummed because, like, you know that that group of of guys, Peter and Drew and Richie, are just so fun to talk to, and. You know, it's kind of like I feel like it's like the end of an era. Like there's no yeah. more, there's no more re there's no more reason to talk to that combination of guys again, unless we do um, you know, some extra stuff. And um, I was thinking how thankful I am that the vinyl came out on Rev so that we had a, a reason to do it as a, a canon episode. Yeah, you know? not as like a bonus. And how yeah. wild it is to think that, you know, back then. The way vinyl went, people didn't really, you know, vinyl wasn't the you know, the preferred medium like it is now for a lot of people. So it's like, like every band, you know, Rev did three of these where it was the major label exclusive and they did the vinyl. What like else full, did they do? Full. They did Civ Set Your Goals and they did um, Quicksand Manic Compression. Uh-huh. Um, they, they did like a distribution deal, I think, with Interscope where a couple Interscope releases say like copyright rev, but they don't have the star. Like you used to be able to get the no doubt tragic yes, kingdom, no uh, Bush six, uh, 16 six, candles, 16 stone, 16 stone. Um, quick like that record. math. How much does 16 stone weigh? Oh yeah. I don't know. 320 pounds. Okay. That's neat. I, I didn't know that. That's I never neat. and I never thought of it like, oh yeah, they say stone. Like yeah. um, and all pummel was mm-hmm. another one that like distributed by Rev, but they're not Rev numbers like right. how seamless is. But it's kind of nuts to think that 
it was almost like a toss off thing for the label to be like, fine. Yeah. Have, have your old label press the vinyl. And now these are the most sought after, you know, versions of these, uh, you know, and Javier really lucked out and got the, you know, I have a vinyl of uh, this album on black and has the clipped corner. Like a lot of these do that you find, yes. but our man Javier here, Struck I, gold, or I, should I say, struck struck clear? clear. Yeah, ordered this online, right? Or when we were doing the interaction. yeah, we were, I like ordered episodes. it live on on air. Yes. This this seamless on clear, which I had originally like bought, like walked into a record store and bought this, and it did have the clipped corner. This is a clear vinyl copy with a non clipped corner, and I don't I don't understand why. So, so many are clipped or why this one is not i i don't know i don't i honestly don't think that we could ever find out the answer to that yeah. i think that that is a uh, just something that is lost to time but i'm super glad that i grabbed this this looks so good and this full size vinyl it's gatefold the only thing that i could complain about in this is that the only photo is the one that Lego took of the band where Tony is looking dead. You know, Rip Tony, he's in the field there. And oh, Richie okay. has the shovel. The one that's they, under the CD track. Yeah, and they talked the about how they some of the band members didn't like that photo. All of the other photos that are in the CD layout, like the one yeah, I drew. Shots. Yeah, all those ones, they're not in here. It just has the uh the wallpaper art and the uh the the photo the like i always call this the the sci-fi movie photo on the back where it looks yeah. like they're getting ready to it it looks like an anime it looks like gundam or something like that you know what i mean it looks so cool on it to me yeah i like yeah. that photo a lot. it's just so like but it's also so and this isn't in in a pejorative would that be the right word yeah but it's so 90s it is like 90s. no 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 band is gonna like that's not i mean i don't know would turns maybe would turnstile i feel like turnstile could pull off taking like a group shot like that and it would look fucking cool. yo also they look high as shit in this photo <laughs> so i was doing research for photos and so on the back i found a poster or it was someone's someone had a signed copy of the vinyl and then um and then Tony had written in a in a talk bubble, I look high in this. Or he said something like, I look high <laughs> in shit. It's something like that where he put a he talk does. bubble when he signed it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This is, is this your favorite into another Hav? Yes. Okay. Yeah, like no no question. This is my my favorite into another record. Okay. I think after doing all the episodes, I think Ignore Us is mine. Uh-huh. I wish there was some way. It seems like there's a lot of heaviness that comes with Into Another in this release. And I wish there was a way that we could somehow make them feel the way I feel about it when they pick up this record. I don't know if that means a re-release. Yeah, I, I think part of it is because the band like faltered as yeah. this record was in its cycle, really. Yeah. And then it got out of their hands and now it's not available. Like people aren't discovering into another through Seamless. Right. There's, there's, 
you know, because it's not on. It's so like, again, think about the the way this sounds. Like if someone told you in the, in the 90s when this came out, okay. like that what was going to determine probably whether or not people heard your record was whether or not it was available on the Internet to not even download just to stream, like to basically not own like, you know, it was it would be the equivalent of like a movie you know like movies back when we were young like if someone's like well it's on abc tonight so i own it for tonight because i'm watching it and then it's gone like i mean the streaming stays up but i don't know if i'm articulating right but it's just wild that like this their major label record is the one that's the hardest to access but also they did talk about how the, that Hollywood records the, the, was it CD or yeah, it was the CD that it, they put the wrong band on the, on the CD. Uh, yeah. The like Get trans, the fuck out of here. The trans yeah. band. I would like to own one of those. And actually on Discogs, you can order a European version of the CD. So I'm sure it's there. I, okay. I didn't feel like I needed to spend my money on that, but it's, it's <laughs> well, available. I bought dumber things. Yeah. I've definitely bought dumber things for, probably more than that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, Hollywood records that has me thinking too. Like, it just seems like they were, did not know how to operate as a record label mm. because all, or at least not with bands that came from punk hardcore world. Cause you know, seaweed had bad experience. And then, yeah. uh, Bedge reminded me that the band, the fluid, they were, uh, from Colorado. They were on sub pop. They had a record on Hollywood and it also just like completely, you know, got lost to time. Someone knew what they were doing. If they were saying we should sign into another, we should sign Seaweed. There was someone there that but knew. But it's just, I just think the label was. wasn't strong enough and didn't have maybe enough. Like, so, you know, the, we've heard, we've, we've now talked to enough of, of these people that have been on major labels that the way it works is maybe you get a, someone that's really excited, you get like a mic getter. And he knows his shit and he signs a band. Then Mike Gitter goes to another label and then they're left like, and nobody else knows like what to do with the mm-hmm. band. Yeah. And that seems like that's kind of what happens a lot. Um, I mean, there's that new book called Sellout um, that I got. I haven't started to read yet where it's all these punk bands that signed to majors in the nineties and early two thousands and kind of, uh, uh, Corona, not chrono, uh, kind <laughs> yeah. of uh, arc like talks about uh, chronicles yes. there, the journey. Because um, the 90s were wild. Like, if you think about every band with guitars, seemed to have, you know, either flirted with a major label or signed. But when this came out, I remember people were saying the new into another's on. It's not on Rev. It's on Hollywood Records. What's Hollywood Records? It's a. It's owned by Disney. And one, I remember just thinking that's fucking crazy. But two, I also just didn't really care that it was owned by Disney. I didn't think fuck into another. I just thought, okay, this yeah. is what it's on. Um. So. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, and and you know, it was. I guess it was also fortuitous for these bands to still let the indies do their vinyl. Um, and, you know, I, I know people that aren't, don't come from hardcore that actually liked into another and liked 
records prior to Seamless. So I think it um, it like kind of they definitely got out there. They played a lot. Um, you know, they toured a lot. And I just think it was it's very like I don't know that I don't know that any of those bands could have just stuck around. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they did so much in such a, and, and, you know, in you're in your early or mid twenties and like, I don't know that into another would have been a band that would just have completely stuck around and kept making records and had, you know, 15 albums or something by now. I will say that if they did stick around the record that I would expect to hear would not be the soul control record. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we're going to really get into talking about that, but that record, I know it's not finished. I know it's unreleased, but those versions of the songs that we have, and I know that the three of us have physical copies of the CD, a bootleg CD of this, because I fucking sent it to you guys. In my car. Those songs are fucking weird. And as a whole, that is not an easy listen. There's so much weird stuff going on. Like some of the songs kind of like blend into each other and they're just kind of meandering. And there's no, there's none of that like, there's not that like guitar groove. It almost sounds like Peter Moses is not even on this record. All I hear is drums and vocals and some bass and then some like techno almost, right? It would be interesting to see if that was like a blueprint for songs. If yeah. that was like, here's how the right. song should go. And now then put Peter, some you're going to come killer and guitar over, stuff it. over it. Yeah. Right. yeah. And then just never did. I had people asking and saying, did you, did you talk about soul control? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a mysterious I said we record. touched on it, but yeah. like we didn't, I mean, we didn't take a deep dive. Maybe that's yeah. something that, you know, we could do at some point if those guys are down. Um, I'm not too familiar with it. Like I know Hav sent the CD. I think I have it in the car, but I don't know if I've, I mean, I've heard it, but I don't know if I've played it because I remember just hearing it before and it didn't grab me like every other Into Another record did. Um this one grabs you. Seamless definitely grabs you. Oh my God. Start. From the opening, yeah. the, the bass. I mean, but uh, I, you know, I was thinking I can never decide between this and Ignorus mm. for a favorite. It's really whatever one I'm, I'm playing at the time. Yeah. Um, I, 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 mean, I, I, I might, I think I lean Ignorus just because it's like slightly weirder and it has, it's more rocking. It, it has less this, like, polished. I don't want to say, yeah, like, I don't want to say, but it's like, like we talked about kind of, well, I don't want to say spontaneous in, a, in like a way where it just sounds tossed off. But like, I love that it just literally does sound like they're in a room mm. and, you know, Tony started playing that bass line, you know, the, of, of, yeah. And it is darker. And that they just all kind of were like, oh, we're starting now. Okay. And mm-hmm. it just goes like that for the nine songs. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it was cool. They st- kind of stepped out and, and and tried to really do it and, you know, worked with uh, a big name producer at the time. I mean, that's a big deal. Um, and a lot of bands, you know, to, to get, I'm sure they got knowledge from Rick Parashar 
that like they musically kind of kept in their mind bank to this day, you know, because that's what a producer is there to do. And, you know, they had their disagreements with them, like we talked about in the interview. But I mean, you're literally like working with a guy that, you know, produced Pearl Jam and, you know, and sold 30 million records or whatever. Like, you know, it's not it's probably nice to get at least get some good info from them. Um, But uh, I think that that Seamless should have been a lot bigger than it was. But unfortunately, that's just not how things worked. Yeah. Did we um, talk about the fact that Richie produced a shift record? No, we didn't. I wanted to. I love that album. It says that he produced Spacesuit. He did. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm. And he also, what, he did a cover of Chamberlain that just came out? Oh, I actually wanted to talk about that. Okay. When we were talking about Oise and we were talking about Nathan Uh Gray... Because yes, a a compilation of Chamberlain covers just came out, and one of the songs is like Tim from Rise Against with Brian Fallon. One of the covers is Richie Birkenhead. One of the covers is Nathan Gray. One of the covers is Dashboard Confessional. I mean, this is like there's some fucking heavy hitters, and I explained. I was telling this to my wife and to my jujitsu coach because my coach is a huge Brian Fallon fan, huge Gaslight Anthem fan. And I told him about this Rise Against Gaslight Anthem cover. And he's like, that's like my 19-year-old dream, you know? And and so I explaining to this, this record, this covers record to my wife. And I was like, Chamberlain is one of those bands that's like your favorite band's favorite band. And but they were big in their hometown. And that's about it. Like Elliot, I feel like has kind of a similar hometown hero kind of uh, vibe to it. But Elliot is sick. But Chamberlain, especially because like Chamberlain and Split Lip, like if you like those bands, you fucking like those bands, right? I like Split Lip. Chamberlain was your hot track on the Antimatter comp. It was. Yo, Magnetic, was still magnetic 60 Second. To- 20, 26, 60 second. I've got to be real. I'm not too familiar with them beyond the antimatter comp. So maybe I need to dive in. I, yeah, yeah, I think so. Also, I was looking on Discogs underneath Richie's name, and there's a Numbskulls live set out there on cassette. I got to get my hands on that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And the rap and his rap group. Yeah, we still have that still hasn't surfaced. MC Nice Ness. Somebody help us out. Yeah, someone help us out. It's cool there's a cassette out there. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all I got. Yeah. Vis-a-vis into another. Yeah. um, I don't have anything else. I mean, we've talked extensively about these these records and this band. I know we don't want it to end, but all good things must come to an end. So, Jason, do you know what's next? So, this is 48. Then we got 49. And then we got Iceburn. We're talking about not Iceburn, but the Iceburn Collective doing Metatevolutions. Metatevolutions. Double vinyl. Double LP. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yes, after that, we have the in-flight program, and that mm-hmm. will cap out season one. Season one. Slash 2021. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we will be back for regular broadcasting probably sometime in February. There's there's 28 days in February. 
It could be February 1st. It could be the 28th. We'll be back somewhere in there. Yeah. With episode 51, Texas is the reason. Do you know who you are? Like I said, we're taking a little reset break to start season two. And um, there will be Patreon content, though, for patrons in January. And in February, we've got some cool stuff planned. Um, some cool guests for the Patreon. Uh, so be on the lookout. Um, just to cap this off, if you're interested in learning more about Into Another or watching some more videos, if you if you look on YouTube under Richie Birkenhead, there's actually some really interesting interviews. There's uh, an interview with him where he, it's like it's called interview with Richie Birkenhead from the clutch tour. And he actually touches yeah. on the soul control record briefly. Um, also he was on Dano says so, which is Dano Mahoney singer of four one one and no for an answer among other things. And uh, there's a few other podcasts that he is on as well. So I feel like um, there's, there's plenty of, of Richie, especially Richie, um, what do you call it? Media out there that you can, you can divulge, uh, di- devour, yeah. devour. He's always, he's, devour. Uh, he's always great to listen to, um, you know, talk and, and, and reminisce. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you next episode. Bidipo. What's up, everybody? This is Javier. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top tier patrons. Billy Tunnell, Bram Hubble, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, Cliche John, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, Dustin Perry, Greg Jackson, JPD2, Jeremy Holohan, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, Rob Moran, Ryan Walker, Tim Shear, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. Listen, go to www.whereitwentpodcast.com. Check out all the information we got there about Patreon, all our other cool shit. Sign up for things. I don't know. We'll see you next week. Bye.